as leaders within the public service, if we can be articulate about our values, articulate about our knowledge, and do the big picture thinking, then we can win over our political ministry as allies. Um, so that when we know what we're talking about and we are able to communicate that in a way that builds bridges, then we have a better chance of being able to influence. Welcome to the GovComs podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome once again to GovComs, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke. Thanks for joining me. Today, we talk leadership with Zoe Routh, the director of Inner Compass Australia. Zoe Routh is a leadership mentor and speaker, English-born, Canadian-raised and Australian-adopted. Zoe has spent the last 30 years helping teams struggling with office politics and silos to work more collaboratively and ultimately to work effectively. Zoe has written four books and indeed her latest, People Stuff, Beyond Personality Problems, was awarded Book of the Year at the Australian Business Book Awards in 2020. Zoe also hosts the Zoe Routh Leadership Podcast, where she interviews CEOs, senior executives and experts about the people side of business and teams. She joins me on the line now from Canberra, Australia. Zoe, welcome to GovComs. Thanks, Dave. Great to be here. Listen, I mean, always intrigued about where people come from and how they end up doing what they're doing. It sounds a bit of an interesting path for you. Born in England, raised in Canada, ultimately ended up here. So what was that journey to to Canberra? Well, I think one of the starting points was on a three-week canoe trip. It was raining cats and dogs all summer. I'd been promised sunshine and loveliness, but it didn't happen. And we discovered a moose head with its antlers, so what we call a a rack. We discovered a rack, and this is always a big deal on a canoe trip. It's like uh, a huge prize. Now, not being environmentally savvy at that point in time, we decided to take the rack with us. And it ended up being my job to carry the rack down the portages. And this thing stunk. Like, it still had some rotting brain matter in there. And I remember thinking, this is really gross, and why am I doing this? And the answer came to me. It's like, I actually love this. I love this adventure. I love hanging out with these other people on this canoe trip. I love getting to know one another. And all the difficulties and challenges just made it even better. And it was one of my very first experiences in groups in discovering how to work as teams that I really learned to embrace the suck, as the Navy SEALs put it, uh, which is embrace the challenges as well as the good times. And that sort of led from choice after choice, summer after summer, of going back and leading canoe trips and working with teams and learning about myself and learning about leadership. And then when I was 26, God, that seems a long time ago now, I made the big decision of like keeping on doing this kind of adventure and teamwork stuff. And I got a job at Outward Bound based here in Canberra, uh, just south of Canberra, actually in the national base at Tharwa. And off I, off I trotted from Canada to Australia and set up at Outward Bend. I was there for nine years. And 
the theme of people and wilderness remain a constant over the next uh, 25 years, actually, since it's been there. So that's like the snort, the snort, the short snapshot <laughs> of how to go from Canada to Australia and talking all things leadership. So in terms of that, are there, are there differences in the way people behave in the wilderness and the way they behave in the office or is it the same? Oh, yes and no. Uh, I think what the wilderness does for people is that it puts them in very difficult, unusual circumstances. So it gets them out of the usual. And what this does is it puts people under pressure. So they have to rely on their inner resourcefulness, their inner resilience. And it doesn't take too long for all the social masks that we can carry quite easily in an office space to fall away. It's one of the reasons why I love Wilderness Adventure so much uh, for leadership development and for team development is that you, you can't actually hold together all those, those uh, facades, facades as you are facing all these, um, all these difficult challenges. And you actually have to be more real. And when we get to be more real, we can actually get to the heart of, of issues more easily, more readily. Uh, we can learn our strengths and weaknesses more quickly and push through the team dynamic cycles more quickly as well. So I think in the office, it's very easy to duck and weave and hide. Uh, it's harder for leaders to facilitate real conversations when people can just disappear and um, or turn off their Zoom lens or their camera lens and not really engage. Um, but you're pretty real when you rely on each other in the bush, uh, facing down weather and dynamics and challenges. So what is your advice to people who are leading and, you know, you can lead at all sorts of levels. You don't necessarily have to be the person at the, at the top of, of the hierarchy and indeed leadership when it does come from different places makes for better teams. But what's your advice to people about how to get uh, those real conversations happening sooner? Yeah, it's a really important question. And I think it starts with self. And I'm a big believer that perspective is power. It's one of the key themes in my book, People Stuff, is how do we develop perspective? And perspective on self and others are, are two of the grittier things. And I think when we come to know ourselves better first, it helps us show up more centered, meaning that when we become aware of what pushes our buttons and we get to pay attention to those reactions, we can actually respond instead of react. And when we show up responsive instead of reactive, we are calm and composed, and that calm is infectious, and it helps to settle the scene, if you like. So our first work is actually making sure that we are centered, and uh, so that we're not going to be reactive and trigger-happy around different issues for other people. When we are in that state of mind or state of being, I guess, it creates the scene and it invites more... Uh, more intimate conversations, more trusting conversations. The other thing that is also really good is to be honest and open about what you are experiencing. Um, so as a leader, if you're frustrated, then it's okay to say, I'm frustrated. If you are if you're, don't know what's going on, it's okay to say, I'm not really sure what's going on. You need to be mindful though, as you say these things, that you don't sort of create panic uh, by showing that you are out of control. <laughs> you can be in control of self, not necessarily in control of circumstances. And I think that's one of the key messages to lay the groundwork for these conversations. Um, and when we go first in terms of sharing our vulnerabilities and our concerns, then it actually 
create space for other people to um, to speak up as well. And I think some gentle encouragement is is needed. You can't ever go past getting to know your people, though. And when you know intimately what pushes your people's buttons or what's important to them, then you can have a more human interaction. And that's really that's really the mission of any leader is to is to be more human and to get to know the other humans that are on your team. So in terms then of being able to turn up more consistently in that uh, genuine, uh, authentic, more human way, what's your advice to leaders who are, you know, they've got busy lives, they've got stresses, they've got worries, they've got concerns, they've got a lot going on, there's always pressure what are some of the routines and practices that people can put in place that helps them to be more consistent in the way wow. that they turn up at work? Thanks. Thanks for the question, Dave. And uh, I love to share my favorite biohacks. I call it the nose, toes, and pose. Okay. <laughs> and this is uh, the in-the-moment uh, hack to getting centered. Nose is all about breathing. So yogis for 3,000-plus years have always said, Use your breath to control everything. And so when you bring your attention to your breath, you take some gentle, regular, even breaths and you bring your focus to that, it calms the nervous system. It takes us out of reactive into proactive. And so we can just use our breath to, first of all, calm ourselves down. That's the nose part. The toes part is about digging your toes into the ground. And you can do the standing or sitting wherever you are in a meeting or whatever. And by digging your toes into the ground, you bring your awareness into your body, into the present moment. Because when we are focused on the present moment, we can't be hysterically I think that's a made up word, uh, <laughs> catastrophizing about what is about to happen, what has happened. We are just basically here and present in the moment and where there is just the moment. So that's the toes part. And the pose piece is about doing power poses. And I take this all from Amy Cuddy's work on uh, putting yourself in positions of, of authority. What am I like, like being Superman or Wonder Woman, where you stand with your hands on your hips and your legs uh, and your feet wide, and you're in this strong power move, and you do this for two minutes, it can change your biology. So if you're not familiar with Amy Cuddy's work, I encourage you to go and check out her TED Talk for the brief version of that. And if you're sitting and you can't exactly just jump up and go into Wonder Woman pose in the middle of a meeting, <laughs> it would be a bit odd, you can actually imagine yourself doing it. So you sit up straighter, and you imagine putting your hands on your hips so that you feel yourself actually in a bigger pose. And you imagine a two-year-old, how the two-year-olds, when they're arguing with you, they will get into that, that argumentative stance. That's sort of what you want to channel, a little bit of strength like that. And what that does is that it reduces your cortisol and adrenaline and boosts your uh, testosterone, both men and women's testosterone, which is your assertiveness hormone. So all of a sudden, you're calmer, you're composed, you're centered, you're present, and you feel more confident and you give the uh, messages, the, the tiny little micro cues to everybody else that you are in control and confident as well. So nose, toes, and pose is the main suggestion for getting in the control in the moment. So that's my biohacks for the immediate, immediate part. In terms of habits and everything, well, the, the conventional ones still stay, stay true. It means making sure that you're looking after yourself really well. Meditation, diet, rest, sleep. Uh, exercise, all those core functionalities of self-care are the, are the critical ones to have as a baseline, uh, baseline practice. 
Has leadership changed over the years or is it always, you know, the same principles of good leadership always been the same? There are definitely some core fundamentals of leadership that will stand true, the te- stand the test of time. Uh, so showing up and being centered is is one of those. Leadership styles have definitely changed and there's different modalities of leadership that have evolved. The hero leader is no longer uh, appropriate or relevant in today's um, working world. It used to be like the, the command and control, the hero leader is what we needed in times of crisis. And I think to a certain extent, we do need a bit of command and control in crisis, but not for day-to-day work. And because our context has shifted so dramatically, we are so interconnected, we are uh, a global community, our ways of thinking and being and doing have to, have to change. Uh, we need to be more systems-oriented in our thinking. So we need to be able to address complexity. We need to be able to navigate ambiguity and volatility and uncertainty. And the VUCA world is what that acronym is. And in doing so, we cannot be the the sole person with all the answers that just doesn't work. So we need to be absolutely more critical thinkers, creative thinkers, and collaborative practitioners. We need to be able to uh, leverage the perspective of the people around the table. And we need to get as many diverse opinions and points of view on the table as possible so we can see more of a possible truth, so we can see more of the systems and complexity at play. And that gives us more resources to make smart and savvy decisions in the long term. Is it sometimes, you know, is, is, is leadership born or is it in people or is it something that is, is learned or is it a combination of the two? That's a perennial question, isn't it? Are leaders born, are leaders born or made? Um, I think anybody can decide and learn the skills of leadership. Are some people more suited to it? I think some people want to do it more than others because leadership is a hard gig. It is tough. It is like putting your head on on the chopping block every time because you decide to take responsibility for the future of a group of people. And that's what a leadership is. It's taking stewardship of a group of people in search of a better future. Uh, so can you be born to that? I, I'm, I, don't, I don't necessarily think so. I think humans are very complex creatures and we have not only our personalities at play, which is the hard wiring, but we have our environmental and family upbringing to consider. And I would be loath to say that people are are born to it. I think some people are more charismatic, but we don't want to mistake charisma for leadership. And that's often a mistake that people make. You know, if somebody's outgoing and and, uh, people oriented, think, oh, they're a natural leader. Not necessarily. They're just a natural engagement of other people kind of person as opposed to a leader. You can be charismatic and be a terrible leader. Uh, so there's definitely skills that can be learned. Um, some people just find the people stuff more easy, I think, than others. Hmm. What, what, are, what are the most common reasons that people take on leadership roles? Hmm. Uh, well, I think from a starting point, people are interested in in the pursuit of a better future. So that's that sort of galvanizes people to actually put their head above the parapet and say, hey, I think we could be doing something better. We could be living something better. And it's usually the catalyst for stepping up and taking charge. Sometimes people are pushed into that role by their peers 
or because there's a vacuum of leadership. So someone needs to step forward and do it. And they decide, well, okay, it'll be me. I don't necessarily want to do it, but I can do it. Um, that the compelling vision of a better future is what kicks people off on the right journey. The challenge, though, is that whenever we do step into positions of leadership, i.e. with power and authority, this, is a, this can be a dangerous trap. And um, Dr. Keltner wrote about this in The Power Paradox, which is a fantastic book. And he talked about when people are given authority and power and leadership uh, by the people that they've been serving, it's because they recognize, you know, you've been doing a contribution to the greater good. And that reward uh, of being in charge can be incredibly energizing. It's a very seductive experience. And what can happen is that we then become very obsessed with trying to maintain our positions of leadership. We become a little bit more self-obsessed and we can fall into other traps of power too, like becoming more impulsive, uh, like losing our ability to empathize with the, the very thing that put us on the fast track to leadership, our ability to empathize and care about other people can actually get disrupted when we get into positions of power. So there are some interesting traps that we can experience when we step into these leadership roles. Uh, we can sometimes lose our vision and our sense of purpose about why we did this in the first place and become more interested in, in looking after our own, our own future. How common is it that people lose their way once they they have the responsibility of leadership and they become more uh, obsessed with themselves as opposed to their teams? I think we are all susceptible to that, is to what degree does it happen? And uh, if we can catch ourselves out or if we have some great colleagues who call us out on it, it's easier to pull back from that. And I think reminding ourselves of why we're doing this leadership stuff, like where is our gaze? Is it focused on ourselves or focused on others is one way to get out of it. How common is it? Well, it's often... We see the big crash and burns as great examples of what not to do. And if we think about Adam Newman of WeWork, he's probably the most salient example of it in recent history, where this, you know, he had such a compelling vision at the beginning. You know, it's like, let's bring people together. It'd be this collaborative community space. We'll build relationships and rapport and connection and community in workplaces. It was awesome. And he spoke a really great game. And then he got really enthused by his own uh, dogma, I guess. And he became obsessed mm. with his own self-image. And then the rest is history, really. Like his fall from grace has been pretty spectacular. I think those are, are less common than we actually think. I think on balance, the leaders that I work with are a lot more humble and guarded against the traps of power than we perhaps see in the big corporates. And well, even in the big corporates, I think the Adam Newmans of the world are less common than we might think. Mm. So um, I'm intrigued by your title of, of the book, um, the one that won the um, Business Book of the Year Award back in 2020, where it talks about people stuff beyond personality problems. What are some of the most common personality problems that leaders have to manage in order to build effective teams? Well, the byline is really about how we often assume that conflict in a team is a personality problem. And it certainly looks like it on the surface. You know, if Frank and Susan aren't getting along, why is that? Ah, oh, they're just two very different people. And when we, when we default to thinking that it's a personality problem, then we actually give up on trying to solve the real issues. 
uh, because we think it's, we can't change people's personalities, therefore we just resign to have to deal with this struggle, this, this conflict. Whereas what I recommend in the book is to go beneath the surface. Let's look at the systems that are in place that are creating or potentially setting up Frank and Susan for conflict. Now, what is it about the way that we organize our work that's putting them at odds? Is there something there that is creating this, these challenges? And some of the usual suspects are our promotion system, our remuneration system, um, <clears throat> our recruitment system, and our reward and recognition system. Those kinds of things, which are all to do about position and status, can be the systems that, put, that pit people against one another. Uh, that's sometimes some of the systems that are, are not not working well. Or sometimes it's even as banal as our approval systems or how we go about um, procuring things can create friction for people. So our roles as leaders is often to have a look at all of our systems and look to reduce friction. Uh, those friction points and how we do things are can actually go a long way to reducing what looks like personality problems from the outset. Hmm. Okay, got that. Hey, you, um, you've worked a lot in government. You've worked at several Australian um, government departments. You've worked at a local government level. Uh, indeed, you've worked at a territory government level as well. What's your observations of leadership for people who are working inside government? It's challenging. It's a, a big, unwieldy system. Um, so often I find that some leaders can get frustrated by wanting to instigate change and finding themselves bogged down by process, um, by institution, by dogma, by, uh, by all sorts of practices over which they don't have control. So that's one of the things that leaders are challenged to navigate is, is dealing with this big, I think you're trying to like a big bloated ship in some ways. <laughs> can be some of the experiences that leaders that find challenging. Um, on, the other, on the other hand, it's also where you find leaders who are so dedicated to the community. That's why they're called into public service, that they desperately, not desperately, they are determined to make a contribution and a difference to the community. They believe in the work that they do. They believe in collaboration and cooperation, uh, because that's what we are as humans. We are collaborative, community-oriented people. So you have this sort of really strong, ethically bent uh, leadership, um, sometimes stuck and mired in a big bloated bureaucracy. And um, the more nimble of the, of the ones can navigate that carefully and know how to start to make changes in the system without having to uh, build a whole new ship, if you like. Mm. How difficult is it for leaders who are actually working in the actual bureaucracy themselves, given that ultimately, given the system, the, de the de democratic system that governs uh, this country in, in Australia, that ultimately it's the politicians who are responsible, it's the politicians who are in charge, it's the politicians who make the ultimate decisions that are then put in place by the public service. What sort of dynamic does that have on leadership in the public service? Oh, wow. Yeah, it's hard. We're in like three-year election cycles. So the ability to stay focused on a long-term game can, can be a real challenge for people who are working in the public service versus their political counterparts. And not to say that politicians aren't concerned about the future 
it's just the reality of them trying to make sure that they do have a job after three years can uh, can guide some of their decision making. I think whether it's in this the, this kind of structure in government or whether it's in the private sector, it always comes down to relationships. If as leaders within the public service, if we can be articulate about our values, articulate about our knowledge, and do the big picture thinking, then we can win over our uh, political ministry as allies. Um, so that when we know what we're talking about and we are able to communicate that in a way that builds bridges, then we have a better chance of being able to influence. And that's a influence principle that goes across all types of different sectors. Mm. So how important is it then for people working in the public service to understand the the dynamics that, that govern the system so is that they have a deeper understanding, for example, of how a ministerial office works with a with a department and then where the different parts of the department come together to to meet those particular needs? I think it's absolutely essential if you're going to be successful as a leader is to be able to map out that system and to understand the dynamics of it. Uh, one of the one of the exercises I love to get leaders to do is to actually draw a systems map of their environment. You know, where are the influencers? Where are the net, like the, a people systems map as well as an actual functional one? Because we can see there where the friction points are. We can see where the leverage points are as well. And it also gives us a sense of agency, knowing how we fit within a system and therefore which levers we might be able to, to influence. Um, so it's pretty essential that the bigger picture is known. And more than that, though, it's also to understand the maps of the people, because when you know the maps, you can manage the people. And what I mean by that are understanding different uh, models of human behavior, uh, of what drives people, as opposed to not not just like um, not just the hierarchy in the organization, but the human drivers that are at play, regardless of where people sit in an organization. It all takes a lot of time, though, doesn't it, to really understand the human side of things. It takes a lot of uh, inquiry. It takes a lot of uh, uh, empathy. It takes a lot of curiosity to be able to assemble uh, those pictures and that understanding that helps you to be more effective in your leadership role. So is it fair to say that to be a good leader, you need a lot of patience? (laughs) Yes, you need a lot of patience, uh, absolutely, because people will be at different stages of leadership maturity, and some of them may not have the perspective that you do as a leader, So, meaning that if you've got a few more years under your belt and a few more experiences under your belt, you may have learned a few lessons that your younger or less experienced colleagues don't have. And so that's one aspect of, of patience that is absolutely required is to understand where people are at and where their perspective is sitting and how you might be able to gently help them expand their point of view and expand their perspective without getting short and uh, disgruntled with them because they're not up to speed yet. So patience absolutely is one of them. You mentioned curiosity, and I think absolutely that is one of the key attributes or technique or skills, I should say. Curiosity can be a skill um, that we need as leaders. And the other two, I think, are incredibly important are uh, humility. Humility. Uh, Because I think the danger is if we've been around for 20-odd years in a government agency, say, for example, we've pretty confident that we know how things work. And yet that can creep up uh, as a bit of hubris 
And hubris is a, is a short way, fast way of becoming blindsided or blind to the dynamics around us. So staying humble and reminding ourselves that at the end of the day, there's always more to learn is really important. And the third attribute I think is really critical for leaders is care. Actually caring about the people around you and caring about your work. And if that starts to fall off, then it's time to take a time out and recalibrate what it is that you're doing and what is the purpose of your work and to refine that element of caring. What's your assessment of the impact on these qualities of leadership from the pandemic, given that work is now not as it used to be? We now are all uh, dispersed, working from home. We're not in the same sorts of arrangements that we were before. We're not going out to see clients. Stakeholder engagement is now something that is done digitally. Uh, It's a different world and we operate in a different way. So how has that made the demands of leadership different and how should people adapt to ensure that they're continuing to develop their leadership skills? I think people are exhausted. The the leaders I'm talking to are really not quite burnt out, but there there's a weariness, a weariness that people are feeling. Um, this is arduous. All this constant unknown and volatility is draining. And having to show up and be solid for your people and dealing with them, uh, with your team members who are p- potentially not coping all that well can be can be really difficult. So I think there's that sense of fatigue, which is dominating a lot of a leader's uh, headspace, I guess. I interviewed last week on my podcast, uh, Mark Butler, who is a, he's a specialist in mental health. And he said some of the key early signs of burnout are forgetfulness of uh, fatigue is another one, um, being distracted, all these kind of ones. And <laughs> And they kind of sneak up on you. You think, oh, yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm just working from home and maybe that's why I forgot X, Y, or Z. But it could be signs that overwhelm is starting to take its toll and that you need to do something to change that, whether it's taking time out. The other other part of your question, which is what are the skills that leaders need to develop and focus on in order to keep developing as leaders? A big one I see in terms, and this is rising to the surface or or floating to the top of required leadership skills is facilitation. Being able to facilitate group conversation has never been more important, particularly over webcasts. Uh, It is so much harder to facilitate a group conversation over Zoom without the usual cues that you have in person. And so you really need to up-level your game as a facilitator to make sure that you can create a space where people feel comfortable to share, that there are clear ground rules around the sharing, particularly over video, uh, and that you can actually have the difficult conversations that you need to have because it's so easy just to hide away and to go blank literally on screen um, because it's uh, you can hide so much more easily behind the video. So facilitation, I think, is, is one of the key skills that we need, uh, apart from critical thinking and creative thinking. So with... The future, as uncertain as it is, we just don't know. Um, Yes, we can look to overseas to see some examples of, you know, uh, society returning um, to normal or, you know, more like it used to be. But if people are exhausted, um, 
the demand, you know, what I see is that the demands are just increasing. There is just more to be done, more work to be done. So I can't see things slowing down anytime soon. So how, if people are in these exhausted states, going to continue to adapt and adjust, given that what looks to be coming down the path is more of the same? It's a really important question because if more of the same, you just try and do more of it, you're heading straight for burnout. And so there's three things I tell leaders to, to shift away from doing this at this point. Instead of being an achiever, somebody who sets goals, makes a plan and pushes people on to accomplish it, which worked fine outside of pandemic and in more simpler times, we need to become an amplifier. And what that means, there's three things that we need to do. One is to reduce friction. That's one of the things I mentioned earlier. So look at where do we have friction in our systems and our interactions and our processes, and let's get rid of that. <laughs> so at least we're not making ourselves, making ourselves and each other tired through our way of working. The second piece is to build capability in the people around us. And it's always been an important leadership responsibility. And I think it's even more, even more important now that we need to elevate the people around us so they can share the load, so they can learn how to think strategically and critically as well. And we should be developing other leaders around us. Uh, and that creates a little bit of redundancy in our own leadership system. And the third, the third piece is to maximize energy. And the fundamentals of self-care apply here. And also learning how to get into flow, which is our hyper-productive, hyper-creative state. And there is plenty of neuroscience that uh, goes into the flow state. And there's definitely some specific things you can do in terms of setting up the way that you work to allow you to get into that deep focus zone where you feel absolutely on fire. You feel incredibly creative and dynamic and you produce some of your best work. Uh, so that's all well and good <laughs> when you have complete control of your environment. And when you're working from home, when you have interruptions and, uh, you know, doing some homeschooling or whatever it is, that's uh, more difficult to achieve. And yet so, but knowing the techniques for getting into flow, uh, such as clearing the decks, being able to focus, controlling your environment, having specific objectives, uh, very clear, detailed oriented goals for the day, those types of things can help you get into flow more easily. And I would point people to... The Art of Impossible by Stephen Kotler as a fantastic resource for this. It's very, um, it, it gives you a whole checklist of how you can get into flow more readily in your work. Excellent. Well, that's uh, some wonderful advice. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's so individual how we all operate. Because I know I have uh, members of my team who are at home with small children and working from home is a complete nightmare. Whereas I don't have small children and working from home for me is actually I don't have the interruptions that I normally have when I'm at the office. So every circumstance is different, isn't it? Oh, you've, that's absolutely true. And as leaders, we need to know what is the setup for the people behind the scenes and where can you be of assistance of anything or what allowances do you have to put in place to allow for uh, disruptive and disrupted environments or where do people need particular resources. And a final bit of advice, what would it be, you know, to people, if you were to, to, to leave people with a single thought um, as to how they should perhaps 
manage themselves and their performance and, and, and their leadership at the moment? What's something that they, they should think uh, or should take on board? Well, to think, I think, is to be kind to yourself. That's probably a big lesson. A lot of leaders I work with, they put, uh, not only do they have pressure on themselves from the people and systems around them and expectations, but they put a lot of pressure on themselves too. And you don't need to add huge self-critique or self-criticism, I should say, rather than critique to your long laundry list of, of feeling like you've got shortcomings. So that's the first piece. <laughs> and the second one is to keep a journal, a success journal. And uh, this is a tangible, practical thing. And what I encourage people to do is have something that you can write either electronically or a little notebook, where at the end of the day, you just make a note of the things that you accomplished that day. And it could be little things like cleared my inbox or, you know, spoke to George today about X issue. Little things that are signs that you are progressing, that you're moving forward on your particular projects. And on bad days, it might be made the bed. <laughs> that might be as good as it gets. And even if you did that, you can still count it as a win. So having the ability to record your wins for the day is a really important way to be able to look back and feel a sense of progress. Because when we feel a sense of progress, it actually lightens our cognitive load and boosts our uh, sense of achievement, which is really, really important in these long, long weeks of lockdown. Yeah, great. So Zoe, Ralph, thank you so much for uh, coming on the the, uh, the program today. It's a wonderful the way you're able to uh, to give us so many actionable insights that people can actually build into their approach um, to leadership. You know, all the way from being clear uh, about you know that pursuit of that better future and that imagined state, and then trying to to work through working with your colleagues, working with uh, your different stakeholders in order to be influential, in order to achieve that particular outcome. And so many wonderful insights there that people can use. So thank you so much for coming on the program today. And where can people find out a little bit more about you and um, and your work? Thanks, Dave. You can head over to my website at zoerouth.com. That's Z-O-E-R-O-U-T-H.com. So it's like Routh, like mouth with an R. Or you can find me on LinkedIn. Or you can uh, listen into my podcast at the Zoe Routh Leadership Podcast on any of the podcasting platforms. Wonderful, Zoe. Thank you so much for your time today. And to you, the audience, thank you for coming back once again. We promise actionable insights. And today, Zoe has delivered in spades. There is so much. I've got pages of notes here that I'm going to be able to take away and incorporate into my work. And I know the value that I got, you got as well. So uh, be kind to yourself as you deal through the pandemic, but also think about some of those uh, insights that we got from Zoe today in order to improve the way that we lead the teams that we either lead or we, in fact, are just a part of. Um, if you do see the social media promotion for the podcast, please, uh, a rating and review never hurts. If you do see the social media promotion, uh, a like, a share, any sort of um, uh, activity and engagement will help the program to be found. And we're very grateful for all the support that we continue to receive from you, the audience. We'll be back at the same time in two weeks, but for the moment, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the GovComs podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes.